I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. You know, in Buddhism, one of the biggest tenets of Buddhism is that all life is suffering. And with Napoleon Hill, his number one teaching is that the starting point of all achievement is desire. So the source of all that suffering is wanting something that we don't have. And Napoleon Hill says that the best way to get what we want is to know exactly what we want. So how do we how do we marry those two things up? And the way that I've been to reconcile that is about achieving happiness in the present. Once you can do that, then you can chart your path to whatever it is that you want. And the only path to happiness in the present is to get rid of that I'll be happy if syndrome and that I'll be happy when syndrome. I'll be happy if I had that person's body or that person's car or that person's house, whatever it might be. Training yourself to be happy in the present, come rain, hail or shine, even if you're in a a cold shower, just enjoying uh, enjoying that moment. And I think if you can do that and and recognize, um, you know, basically our roles in in humanity, then I think we're, we're taking the right steps. That's James Whitaker, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and the editor-annotator of Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite, How to Unlock the Awesome Power of You, and he's here to inspire us to reach our best through sharing some of the enduring lessons from one of the great motivational thinkers of all time, Napoleon Hill, and one of the wealthiest persons of all time, industrialist Andrew Carnegie. James who, as you've heard, is an Aussie, had a successful decade-long career in financial planning running a multi-billion dollar asset management firm before he embarked on his own entrepreneurial journey. Even as he launches a new venture in event planning in the midst of the global pandemic, James draws on his diverse experiences to help people reach their potential in all areas of their lives. With the help of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, James has modernized the epic 1908 conversation Napoleon Hill had with Andrew Carnegie to remind us all that there are simple solutions to some of the most vexing problems in the world today. Using complementary annotations throughout the Hill-Carnegie conversation, James takes the reader on a journey of self-exploration that will help each and every one of us achieve goals and prosper during challenging times like these by examining three major principles, self-discipline, learning from defeat, and the golden rule. Here's our conversation with James Whitaker. James Whitaker. Welcome to World Footprints. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, It's our pleasure. Now, I'm so excited to share with you that I won't say I'm a student, but I am very well versed with this book. (laughs) That book looks familiar. Yeah, doesn't it though? A mastermind group that I belong to in the National Speakers Association, this is our curriculum. And so at least once a year, I pick up Think and Grow Rich. So I was so excited to, uh, to meet you and, and talk to you about uh, your book. Before we get into your book, I do want to ask you to briefly describe the relationship between Napoleon Hill and Andrew Carnegie and what came out of those conversations that actually led to this and your forthcoming book. Andrew Carnegie and and Napoleon Hill, their lives and indeed their legacies are now inextricably linked. So Andrew Carnegie came over from Scotland with barely anything to his name and he was shown kindness at a a young age by a gentleman who, who, you know, a successful local businessman who basically let Carnegie use his library. So that was when Andrew Carnegie was able to read books, which of course unleashed his imagination. So Carnegie basically committed to himself 
that if he was ever in a position where he was able to help others, that he would pay it forward. And that's what happened. Obviously, as he grew up and he was able to accumulate one of the greatest fortunes in the history of humanity, not just the time, I think it's like the second or third most uh, wealthiest person of all time. That is why he spent the latter years of his career trying to give everything away. And, and before he died, he, he'd actually given away uh, 90% of his wealth, which has gone on to fund more than 6,000 libraries. And so much of, of what's wrong with the world at the moment, I feel like could be solved by education and just getting to know more about other people and their journeys and things like that. So this project is, is very near and dear to my heart. Thinking Grow Rich was the book that completely changed my dad's life. And uh, Napoleon Hill, I mean, he was, he was someone who's uh, basically his stepmom had shown him a great deal of, of kindness and, and helped him understand that he had more potential than he ever thought. So Napoleon Hill ended up giving away his, uh, his pistol and was given a, a typewriter from his stepmom and, of course, went on to become a very prolific writer. His most famous book being Think and Grow Rich, which was released in 1937, has sold more than 120 million copies and is the best-selling self-help book in history. Yeah, I would attest to that. Now, there were some very important lessons that came out of Andrew Carnegie and, and Napoleon Hill's conversations. What were the most important lessons that resulted from those dialogues? It's really up to each reader to figure out what's in it, what's in it for them. But for me, some of the big ones are that we have so much more power over our circumstances than what we give ourselves credit for. So another big one is actually harnessing that exact same amount of energy that we use to complain about the circumstances that we don't have and complaining about what it is that we don't have. If we redirect literally that exact same amount of energy, we could indeed, you know, allocate it towards constructive means. We could indeed create so much more than we ever thought possible. And, and what we've really tried to do with, uh, with Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamites, I've got a, here, a copy here for anyone who's watching on video, they've tried to basically readjust some of the misconceptions around Think and Grow Rich. So we've gone straight back to excerpts from the original interview that occurred in 1908. A lot of people, they, they hear about Think and Grow Rich and they say, oh, it's just about thinking. Or they hear the word rich and they think, oh, it's just about monetary means. And of course, the three of us know that there's so much more to, to being rich than just how much money is in your bank account. So another core theme of this book is that the best way to help yourself first, or indeed to find yourself, is to actually lose yourself in service to others. The best way to get is to actually give first and to give without the expectation of anything in return. The ninth principle of Think and Grow Rich is the power of the mastermind. That's the number one principle that has given me every opportunity that I've had in my life. And, and that's why I'm, I'm so proud just to be a part of this project and, and take it very seriously, the, the obligation that I have to help other people help themselves. That was the number one gift that Carnegie and Hill were trying to give the world. It wasn't to make other people rich. It was to give people the ability to help themselves, to create harmony, the world's largest mastermind, to help raise the standards of living for people everywhere. And I think in 2020, we've lost sight of that a little bit, maybe mm -hmm. a lot. Speaking of the books, how does your book, Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite, fit with the themes and the narratives of Hill's Think and Grow Rich? Yeah, it's a good question. They're, they're very different, actually. So this one contains excerpts from that original conversation between Hill and Carnegie. So it's not, you know, I haven't gone in there and edited those things. They're, they're back. They're, they're pretty much exactly as they were written. So it's quite fascinating to hear the way that they write, the, the way that they wrote and, and, and spoke back then. One change that I that I did make to the manuscript is that back then it was very masculine dominated language, which I feel like hasn't hasn't aged well. No, it wasn't. It wasn't meant. Um, you know, they were certainly of, of both massively creating opportunities for people of all backgrounds and, of course, both genders. But, you know, when they talk about mankind and, and 
what man thinks he becomes. So those are the things that I've gone in and, and changed because I feel like by doing that, it would ostracize a lot of readers, which is obviously not our intention with the project. But I've gone in and added in examples of dozens and dozens of individuals and companies who have been able to achieve massive success following these exact lessons. So although it does contain excerpts from the interviews, it also includes references to people and companies who are living these days who are extremely successful. Now, let me talk about in terms of success, overcoming massive adversity, being of massive service to the community. If it's a company, making sure they really look after their staff. And some of those companies include Costco, whose staff are paid double the national average, And uh, I think it's about 90% of their staff uh, have company-sponsored health insurance and their stock price has gone up almost 400% in the last 20 years. Chobani, the the yogurt company, which you might be aware of, they... Mm Once they reached $1 billion in sales, they decided to give 10% of the company back to its staff. We're not talking about communist socialist stuff here. We're talking about just decency and, and what can you do to, to really give back to the community and the people that, have, that are you know, helping the company operate, which I, I think is important. With everything that's happening in the world with fear, personal comfort and security being at risk because of falling financial fortunes, how can we train ourselves to remain happy, remain hopeful and optimistic during these times. I think we need to recognize that any fear that we're experiencing almost certainly comes from an external source. And the, the biggest thing that is, is of course, our, our mobile phone. So these are annoying little devil devices, these things, because we look at, you know, when we get to our phone, the first thing that we do is open social media and they are built, these algorithms are built on luring us in. How many times have you gone to pick up your phone for 30 seconds or 60 seconds, half an hour's gone by and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm still here and you feel completely drained as a result of, of that experience. So once we on social media, the those platforms, all of them are run around engagement. All of their algorithms are done on engagement. So if, if we're on there, the way that they entice that engagement is to either show us something that we really love or something that we really hate. And that's why individuals and companies who post on social media, it's in their best interest to be doing those things that are just naturally a little bit more sensationalist. There was something that I posted recently. Uh, I had a, a woman on my podcast, Jessica Cox, who is she was born without arms and became the world's first armless pilot. And I thought, my God, what better message should we put out into the world at the moment? And I tried to boost that post so it would be seen by more people. And Facebook came back and said it was hate speech and refused to even manually review it. And I'm like, I feel like the, the censorship world is a is a slippery slope. Don't get me wrong, anyone who's inciting violence or, or even just general hate speech, I think should be condemned, if not deleted from from platforms entirely. But I think it's a... It's a slippery slope when it comes to censorship because there's always humans behind the door. So it's uh, the whole who's policing the police thing. Yeah. You know, I, I wake up in the mornings. I purposefully avoid grabbing my phone. I charge it right next to my bed or my side of the bed. But I know, you know, when I've grabbed the phone in the morning and I've gone through um, social media, you know, we're a media company. And so I am on social media a lot. And when we travel, I'm constantly on social media posting photographs, but I've made it a point not to go for this. Uh, and I have a tiny one, this tiny little devil <laughs> you know, first thing in the morning, but to meditate and set intentions for the day, it doesn't always work for me, but 
that's you know my routine and first thing in the morning i i love it you know i i feel like the times when i pick up my phone it's because i have put it into the charger that's right next to right next to my bed so as much as possible i'm actually not even charging my phone at night time so i can leave it in a different part of the room and i'm far less likely to touch it in the morning because, you know, we, we wake up and we look at things like emails or I have a lot of work outsourced that I get back. So I see it first thing in the morning and my brain, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a perfectionist. And when I see it and I'm like, oh, whether it's a video or a, um, you know, graphic design, whatever it might be, or an email that frustrates you, whatever it might be to wake up and you're frustrated. It's such a horrible thing to do. So I, I love what you're doing about focusing on gratitude and focusing on intent and meditation. My wife and I recently moved to cold showers, which we've both really, really enjoyed. So now we, we exclusively have, have cold showers in the morning, which we found uh, is also really good for, uh, for energy levels. <laughs> well, what, I have heard that, but I'm, I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> it's, it sounds crazy. I know. Believe me, I'm surprised you haven't hung up the interview already. But uh, yes, give the <laughs> give the cold showers a, a try for a few days. Um, I mean, uh, I lasted eight seconds the first time I did it. And then I grabbed my phone and set a two-minute timer so I could see it while I was in the cold shower. So from that second time I did it with the timer, easily hit two minutes. Your body actually gets used to the cold after 60 seconds. And then I haven't had a problem ever since. So set a timer. That's that's my advice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We, I, I will try this and report back to you. <laughs> Sounds good. This is the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift we have just for subscribers. Here's more of our conversation with entrepreneur and best-selling author James Whitaker as we discuss Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite, How to Unlock the Awesome Power of You. I want to ask you about some of the, the, the greatest misconceptions about thinking grow rich because I know it also impacts your book, uh, Mental uh, Dynamite. What are those misconceptions? Because I understand some people are actually blaming some of today's ills and issues on the principles of thinking grow rich and i i haven't wrapped my mind around that the people who are doing that haven't properly read it or they haven't really understood what's what's going on and certainly they haven't read um you know more of napoleon hill's teachings he's got the laws of success which is a much bigger collection of of knowledge than 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 think and grow rich which is a pretty big read in itself but again, it's people focusing on, on the monetary thing. It's people focusing on thoughts without reinforcing it with consistent, purposeful action. I think an element of that is the 2006 film, The Secret, which I thought was great, but it focused too much in, if I think about the perfect car park, it's, it's going to appear. If I think about the perfect romantic partner, it's going to appear. We know for a fact that these things don't happen. Now, thinking is important and the movies that we watch and the books that we read and the people that we hang around and the, the where we get our information, all of those things create thought impulses that create our beliefs, which ultimately determines our actions. That's why thinking is so important and reinforcing it with consistent purposeful action, but having a comprehensive idea of what success looks like to you. If people are doing th- these things, then they're going to end up at a good destination. But if you're, if you're allowing too many negative thoughts to hang around, or if you're spending too much time with negative people, or if you're solely focused on the money, then whether you're the CEO of a company that's so driven by money, or if you're in a, a romantic relationship where you're so busy at work that you never see your family, I mean, 
you don't really have any balance there and how can you expect to be to be happy so a big part of my work is around helping people take ownership of their financial physical and mental health i mean i feel like without those three things in alignment then you've uh you know you're in you're in big trouble even if you are very successful in in one of those areas you mentioned destinations you know we live in the travel space so we have to have to talk a little bit about travel i vaguely recall when i first picked up this book, Thinking Grow Rich, that some of the teachings that are um, applied in, uh, in the book and in your book as well, I'm sure, uh, that some of those were influenced by travel experiences or cross-cultural experiences. Is that true? And is there a particular country or culture that actually practices the teachings that have been written about on a regular basis? You know, I've been interviewed so many times. That's a question I've never been asked before. So, uh, so We're travel journalists. We have to go yeah, there. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I think, first of all, it's recognizing that we're, all, that we're all human. And when we talk about in terms of intense personal conflict, it's because people don't really understand these other nationalities. And I've got a guy on my podcast tomorrow, um, Bruce Kirkby, who's actually traveled, I think, to more than 100 countries on the planet. And a big part of his work is recognizing that, hey, we're all human. Yeah, we have governments. Some of these different governments have idiots at the helm of those things. But below all that stuff, at the end of the day, we're people and um, people like to get along. We want to help each other and and things like that. So I think that's important first and foremost. Andrew Carnegie talks about in this original interview, making sure that you have a motive for your action. Because if you don't have motive for action, he he talks about the example of, um, I believe it's in India, I, I, I don't quite me on the, I can't remember the, the exact example, but it's, it's, a, it's basically someone who's like a street performer who can, I, I think it might be standing on their, on their head for extended periods of time, whatever it might be. There's no point having the self-discipline to do that unless it's backed by some type of motive. So having the constructive um, means to do something and tying that into basically helping you achieve your mission is, is really important. Now, of course, there are things that are just fun to do. And, you know, I've been to more than 50 countries and traveling is one of my favorite things to do, as I think it is for most Australians, because it <laughs> takes us so long to get anywhere is, is my theory. But yeah, I think just making sure no matter what we're doing, we, we really have that motive behind it. And, and one thing that I may end up writing a book about actually is, you know, in Buddhism, one of the biggest tenets of Buddhism is that all life is suffering. And with Napoleon Hill, his number one teaching is that the starting point of all achievement is desire. So the source of all that suffering is wanting something that we don't have and Napoleon Hill says that the best way to get what we want is to know exactly what we want. So how do we, how do we marry those two things up? And the way that I've been to reconcile that is about achieving happiness in the present. Once you can do that, then you can chart your path to whatever it is that you want. And the only path to happiness in the present is to get rid of that I'll be happy if syndrome and that I'll be happy when syndrome. I'll be happy if I had that person's body or that person's car or that person's house, whatever it might be. Training yourself to be happy in the present, come rain, hail, or shine, even if you're in a, a cold shower, just enjoying, uh, enjoying that moment. And I think if you can do that and, and recognize, um, you know, basically our roles in, in humanity, then I think we're, we're taking the right steps. James, as you look at the world today with all of the problems we're facing, one of which is this pandemic, and because of that, we can't travel. We're having to connect virtually. But at the end of the day, a lot of cross-cultural experiences give us insights into what our futures could perhaps be. How important do you see that, even if we're just doing it on a virtual basis, to bringing us to a better place? 
I think it's recognizing that we have a lot of power and abilities to connect with other people in a virtual environment. So yeah, it, it sucks that you can, you know, I would love to be with you too uh, in person. I, I do just much prefer in-person interviews because you can naturally just connect a bit easier, but we're getting it done. There are people out there who, when this pandemic first hit, said, I'm not going to do my podcast or, you know, I literally launched an online events company in, in March when this thing first started. We help podcasters make money. We've got another event coming up in, in November. Remind me and I'll, I'll get you both some, some free tickets for that. But I think from a, a cultural perspective, I mean, we had more than 15 countries, uh, people from more than 15 different countries attend this event. The people who want to get it done will get it done. The people who will always find an excuse and blame others will never get it done. They're always busy focusing on on excuses. But from a, a cultural perspective, I mean, Australia culturally, like we have our in, Indigenous population, which is at the start of every event that we do. In fact, every session that we have for our members group, we start off with an acknowledgement to the people who came before us on our land. That's something that mm. very few people do. So we have that acknowledgement to the Indigenous people who were there before us and who, who hold a continuing connection to land and, and water. We do that every single time and we, we think that's important. But we also recognise that, unfortunately, the history of the world is a lot of conflict around land and, and different things like that. So hopefully on the condition that we are actively trying to learn more and more about other cultures, that will give us that understanding that can create that can create peace. Because I feel like people who who hate others and, and, you know, we're in a situation where there's a lot of hate, unfortunately, in the world at the moment, just haven't taken that time to get out there and learn more about other people, other cultures, other, other backgrounds and things like that. You mentioned that you've been to 50 countries. Is there a country that you've identified that I, I call them soul countries, like a country that feels like home other than Oz, you know, land of Oz, which is gorgeous. <laughs> but is there another country that you just feel right at place that, that helps you manifest and, and practice these lessons that you write about? So many. And the biggest one for me is as long as there's an ocean, then I'm good. You know, I, I just, I love the ocean. I need to be, I need to be near one. My, my favorite place in the whole world is probably the Galapagos Islands. So I went there about eight years ago as part of a national geographic, you know, I wasn't filming or anything for National Geographic. It was called a National Geographic tour where you uh, spend 12 days. I think you camp for like seven or eight days and you're out on boats. And I mean, that is just such an amazing uh, way just to get back to nature and things. So that's somewhere that really connected with me. Another place actually um, about two years ago, my wife and I uh, spent just over a month in Europe for our honeymoon and um, Positano was a place that really stood out to us just with the the beautiful cliffs there overlooking the oceans and, um, and Hawaii. Hawaii is probably another one that's, that's very close to our hearts. So my wife and I started dating after we got together in Hawaii. My family's holidayed there a couple of times. And when our daughter, who's 16 months old now, when she was six weeks old, we actually took her to Hawaii for a very first plane trip. So uh, yeah, but a bunch of different a bunch of different places around the world, but it must have an ocean for yes. me. <laughs> I'm so there with you. I'm a scuba diver, so the, the oh, nice. my home. So I want to end with a rapid fire question that we like to ask our guest. Of course. If you could choose anyone to sit next to on a long haul flight, past or present, who might that be and why? Oh, that's, that's such a good question. 
I thought you were going to say a park bench, which I feel like could give a different response because if it's someone who maybe has an awesome jet, then that could be good. So someone like Elon Musk is someone who I really, really, really admire. So what I love most about him is that he doesn't let any of these excuses get in the way. And in fact, he's actually going against some of his heroes. So a lot of the traditional astronauts are more on the government side of saying that private companies and things shouldn't be doing what he's doing with, with SpaceX and what he's doing with Tesla. There's a there's a 60 Minutes interview with Elon Musk where he's actually in, in tears because he talks about the heroes of, of his who are really criticizing the the work, the amazing work that he's doing. He said, I wish that they would come down here and, and, and see what we're doing. So Elon Musk would be the would be the big one. Napoleon Hill, I, I'd love to interview Winston Churchill. I mean, someone who who was such a significant figure in World War II, I think would have some good lessons for now, as well as Abraham Lincoln. There are probably too many names, but uh, one last one would be Sarah Blakely, who founded the company Spanx. So she was a comedian for a bit of time. So I think she's she'd be good fun because she's also the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. Yeah, one of my heroes as well. Mm. And you know, you could have a private jet and fly with all these. these that's boats. right. Just have That'd a be nice. mastermind on board. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just an idea. Oh, James, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. This has been delightful. And this is a conversation I needed to hear today in particular. <laughs> so thank you. Well, thank you so much for both of you for bringing more light into the world. And, and thank you for having me on. Our pleasure. Someone listening to this interview we did with James may ask, you know, where does it fit into travel? And I think we have done a great job with him and other other people that we've interviewed uh, about contextualizing travel in the, you know, in the midst of these conversations. You know, for example, James and I share a love for the ocean. Um, he's traveled to 50 countries. That sh- actually shows the, the, the transformative power of travel. Um, and his writings reflect this in this book. As you mentioned there, these these experiences, whether travel experiences or reading this book, uh, it's really about changing thinking. It's about changing changing the mindset, mindset, exactly. And so when we think about transformative travel or we think about principles of life, we're really trying to change and get out of some of these ruts, get out of comfort zones that have held us back. And so it's always good to get that other voice talking to you, encouraging you to think about how you're thinking, how you're looking at the world, and to go about changing your life. Right, and that's what Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich book has done for me. You know, I've had this book for a few years, and I read it at least once a year, and in reading now Mental Dynamite, uh, James' book, it helps even contextualize Think and Grow Rich for me. It, It fills in learning gaps in the questions I have had even going through Think and Grow Rich. In closing, we leave you with the inspirational words of Napoleon Hill himself. Every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. Those are definitely words I think we can live by, babe. Indeed. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are so honored that you chose to take this adventure with us. Thank you for spending this time and allowing us to connect you to the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. 
the multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast. <laughs>